light. There it is. So good morning. morning. Yes. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come down. And again, thank you, whether you give online or give in person. We obviously appreciate it. It's huge to get everything done that we're trying to get done here, including some of the things that you've just seen talked about. Your giving helps all of that happen. And I want to emphasize two of those things before I jump into the message this morning. First is that course that we talked about, Pathways. And uh, the link will come up again so you can look at it and jot it down, take a picture of it. Yes, we have been working on this a long time. It is a commitment that you have to make for a full year every other week to be together, as well as homework in between. But we really think it's going to take you deeper. And if you're ready for that, please go to Pathways. Um, You'll find the explanation there again. If this was too quick to you, we'll keep talking about it. Plus, you also can register. Uh, Secondly, uh, the community groups. These are two things that are really important for your walk with Christ. The Pathways course, if you're ready for something like that, but for everybody, small groups, right? Especially for those of you who maybe attend or watch online, if this is all you have of Princeton Lions Church, then I'm glad we can serve you this way. But for you to really grow, you need to get in a group with, your, with other people on a regular basis, usually every other week, where you're rubbing shoulders and you get to help them walk in their journey, they get to help you. And there's certain times that we open it up that you can sign up for those small groups. And this is one of those times. And we run it for a semester, like three months, and open up a time again. So take advantage to go to groups on our website. And it'll drop down a menu. And you can take a look at all the groups that are there. But I really encourage you to do that. Now, we are talking about the gospel. It's a four-week series. This is a second of four weeks where we're talking about the gospel, that foundational message of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, rising on the third day to live forever so he can continue to forgive our sins and welcome us when we leave this earth, right? This is the way God forgives sins and the single door that he has for us to go through to be able to meet him. And we're celebrating that and learning about that for four weeks. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But this weekend, you know, we're also uh, celebrating something else. What is that? Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I'm glad we do this as a nation. For me personally, he's been an inspiration. Huge impact on my life, the life of Martin Luther King. I, I refer to him often. I read something from his that's new that I've just found somewhere every once in a while. And as we celebrate and remember what he did for our country, um, I'm reminded about what I'm going to talk about in a minute with the gospel. Because in 1961, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, preached a sermon on what he called the fool, the fool. And he's referring to a term that Jesus actually used in a parable that he told about the fool. The fool was a man who was very wealthy, but he had a huge crop one year. A harvest was wonderful, and he said to himself, this is fantastic. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build new ones. I'm going to live on this forever. I'm going to be rich. And then the next day, he died, and he wasn't able to enjoy all that. And so Jesus calls this man a fool. And Martin Luther King, in his message, said the reason that this man was a fool was, in his words, he let the within be absorbed by the without. He let the within 
be absorbed by the without. He let all this external stuff that he could see run his life, and that's what he was going to enjoy. And he never took care of the necessary within. And so when he died, he wasn't ready to meet God, right? Well, the reason we're spending four weeks on this message, the gospel message, is because this is the foundational message. This is the essential within that you need. And no matter what else you have in this life and no matter what else you do in this life, if you don't have this, then you're not ready to meet God. So we start off the year with these four weeks, and we're doing it by looking at four different individuals in Scripture who heard about this good news about Jesus, the cross, and his resurrection, and responded to it. Last week, we talked about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? And the lesson of Nicodemus was, no matter how impressive your background is, it won't get you to God. This week, we're going to look at Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And in Cornelius, there's a lesson for those who are seeking truth. There's a lesson for those who share the truth or the gospel. And both end up growing closer to Jesus in their experience, okay? Now, it's a very long lesson uh, in Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read part. I'm going to summarize part. But I'm going to start by reading so that you hear the description of who Cornelius is. From Acts 10, starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one other Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having declared, uh, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay? So that's Cornelius. First thing we find out about him is he lived in Caesarea. Now, this was a really important city. It was right on the seashore, the Mediterranean Sea. It was north of Jerusalem. It was south of Capernaum, which you hear often in Scripture. A very important city. Uh, it has lots of things in the Bible that actually happen in that city. But it also has a Christian history after the Bible was written. Okay? Um, this is where Pontius Pilate's headquarters was. Okay, Pontius Pilate, the man who pronounced judgment on Jesus, sentenced him to death, did that in Jerusalem, but only while he was visiting. His headquarters were, was in Caesarea. Philip, not the Philip that Jesus called as a disciple, but the Philip that was chosen in the book of Acts, chapter 6, along with other people like Stephen, to be a, a deacon or to take care of the needs of widows who became Philip the Evangelist because he went to Samaria and he led all kinds of people to the Christ. And Philip is the guy that ends up by the Spirit in the desert with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. This was where his house was. He lived in Caesarea. It also has, was the last place that Paul lived in Israel in chains in Caesarea before they sent him 
uh, to Rome where he ended up giving up his life and being executed. But even past all the biblical stories, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed by the Roman soldiers because of a revolt. And so everybody got scattered. And Christianity, whose center was in Jerusalem until that time, they got scattered. And Caesarea became the new Jerusalem for the Christian church. Strong church developed there, so strong that it lasted for several centuries. In the early second century, in 195 AD, a council of Christians came to that city and declared that every year Easter was going to be celebrated on a Sunday from that year on. So it's got a lot of rich history about Christianity there. And that's where Cornelius lived. But let's talk about Cornelius. It describes him as, first of all, a centurion. Now, you know what that word means, I think, century 100. So a centurion was a Roman soldier who was authorized over a hundred other soldiers. He was the leader. It also says he was part of the Italian cohort, the Italian cohort. Now, the Italian cohort were volunteers in the Roman army, okay? They were still paid, but they weren't drafted. They chose to be part of the Roman army. There were 32 Italian cohorts placed all over the Roman kingdom, one of them here in Caesarea. And there were about 600 or so men in each of those cohorts. So it's about the size, for those of you with a military background, of a, of a battalion today, when you hear the battalion. And Cornelius was in charge of 100 of that group, that Italian cohort that was in Caesarea. But then about him personally, he has some remarkable spiritual truths that are said about him, but that aren't good enough to save him, right? Because he still doesn't know Jesus. So he's actually not saved. But what it says about him is amazing. He's religious, he's spiritual, he's sincere, he's earnest, he's prayerful, but he isn't regenerate. He hasn't been born again. What we talked about last week with Nicodemus. He still needs that to happen. And evidence of his devotion to this God is he's got his whole family. It says he and his family are now following this single God of Israel in all that they know about this God of Israel, which is amazing because this man grew up in Rome with a polytheistic pantheon of gods, right? The Romans had a whole system of gods, bigger ones, smaller ones, important ones, less important ones. And they had all kinds of terrible characteristics. They were jealous and hateful, and they did all kinds of terrible things as well. That's what he grew under. And so he was attracted in his whole family to this monotheistic belief, one God. And he was seeking to follow this God as best as he could. And specifically, it says of him, that he feared the Lord. He feared the Lord. Now, you'll see that phrase often in Scripture. And I, I think it can mean a wide range of things. Fearing means sometimes exactly what we use the word today for, that they're afraid. Like when Cornelius saw the angel, it says he looked at him in terror. In other words, he was afraid of this angel. At the other end of the spectrum, fear of the Lord could mean something like awe. You see the awesomeness of God. And my guess is that Cornelius actually felt that whole gamut, that he really was afraid of God at the same time in all that there could be one God who is the creator of everything. And it reminds me of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Some versions say the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's exactly the case in Cornelius's life, right? He still had a journey to go. He still wasn't there yet. This was just the beginning of his journey. And it's interesting that it's demonstrated in his life by two activities that I read to you. He's an almsgiver and he's a prayer. An almsgiver and a prayer. These are two essential parts of the Jewish faith, right? Giving and praying. Um, and in fact, um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus condemns the Jewish religious leaders because of these two things that they do wrongly. He says, well, you give alms, but you do it for praise of people to you. You, you bring in a big bag of noisy coins and you drop it in a metal plate so everybody hears all that you're giving, right? And you do it in front of people. And when you pray, you do the same thing. You stand in front of people in these elaborate prayers and they're wordy and you want to be impressive spiritually. So he's condemning them who know the true God and they're doing it wrongly while Cornelius, who doesn't even have the whole truth, he's doing it rightly. He's giving alms as, he, as much as he can generously and he's praying, it says, continuously. Now, there's not many times in Scripture do you find somebody described as someone who prays continuously, right? The Jews in Jesus' day and well before Jesus' day had a habit of praying three times a day. Remember Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he would pray three times a day, right? And the Jews would do that religiously. And there's other faiths, like the Muslim faith, they pray five times a day. That's great. Three times a day, five, that's fine. This guy is praying continuously. So whatever that means, it certainly means that he was conscious of God all throughout the day, that God was part of his life. But he still was not a believer in Jesus because he'd never heard of Jesus. So the kicker is his prayers the prayers of a non-Christian reach God. God sees this, responds, and sends an angel to get him started on the journey that he needs in his life to get to know Jesus. You think there's a principle in there, by the way? That if you obey the light you're given, that you'll be given more light? I know there is. Listen to some of these verses. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Matthew 5, 6, this is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. It's clear in Scripture, okay? If you seek truth, God will deliver. If you seek truth, God will deliver. Now, here's an important part. Because when this vision disappears, he's been given one instruction. Go send somebody to get Simon. We know him as Peter. Go get Peter in Joppa, right? And when does he send those guys? Right away, right? He doesn't say, let me think about that. Was that real? Maybe I should ask God for another vision to confirm that that really was an angel. Did I have a dream? Right? He obeys immediately, calls the guys to him, even unabashedly shares this vision where they might think he's crazy, right? And he shares it with them and says, now go get Peter, okay? And off they go. 
And I'll explain this in a minute, but if he hadn't done that immediately, I'm not sure the rest of the story would have ever happened. Okay? So that's Cornelius. That's part of the story. But now he has to send for Peter. Peter is the second part of the story, and it's a lengthy part about Peter. So I'm just going to summarize it for you. Here's what happens next in the chapter. So you, get, you find Peter. He's in Joppa, which is about 30 miles south of Caesarea. And he's living in a house of another guy named Simon who's a tanner. He wants to pray. So he goes up on the roof to be undisturbed because he's serious about prayer. And he's praying, but he gets distracted because it says he got hungry. While he was praying, he got hungry. And at that moment, God sends, he gives him a vision of a sheet that's lowered down with all kinds of animals on it. And God says, kill these and eat them. And he's looking at the animals in that sheet. And he says, well, some of them are kosher and some of them aren't kosher. So he says, well, no, I can't do that. I've never eaten that type of thing before. And God says to him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And this happens three times. And after three times, the vision disappears. And it says, Peter was wondering what it was all about. And while he was wondering what it was all about, three people, the three people that Cornelius sent to Joppa, they knock on the door. And so God, even secondary to the vision, now speaks directly to Peter and he says, go with them. Right? So he comes down and he goes with them. Now, a little time frame here. Day one, Cornelius sees his vision and sends the guys. Day two, Peter sees his vision and the guys arrive. Now, they arrive and it says they stay overnight. So day three, Peter and these guys go back to see Cornelius. And it says the exact hour that he saw the vision, Cornelius, on day one, day four is when Peter arrives at that time. So in four days, all this happens. But my question is, what if Cornelius had hesitated? Right? What if he waited a week? What if he waited a day? Peter is seeing a vision and he's trying to figure it out at the moment that these three guys knock on the door. That wouldn't have happened. The connection probably wouldn't have been. Who knows what would have happened? Cornelius had to obey immediately, and he did. It's kind of like the story of Jesus and the 10 lepers who come to him to be healed. They ask him to heal them. He doesn't heal them on the spot, but he says, well, go show yourself to the priest in the temple, and he'll see that you're clean. But they turn around and leave, and they still have their leprosy. And on their way, it says, that's when they were healed, when they obeyed, right? It's just like that. Cornelius obeys immediately. But now let's take a closer look at Peter. So Peter's on a rooftop. He's serious about prayer, but he gets distracted because he got hungry. So how many of you sometimes when you pray get distracted? Liars. <laughs> right? I mean, sometimes, come on, we all get distracted. I, get to, I can hardly ever sit down for a long time and just pray. I have to move. I have to walk. I usually try to walk when I pray just so I don't get distracted. And even then, it's tough sometimes. The kids, you start thinking about your to-do list, or you get hungry like Peter did, right? So Peter gets distracted by hunger, and so God sends him this vision three times. Tells Peter to eat, and Peter says, no, I don't do that. Peter has a bad habit, okay? He keeps saying no to God. 
He keeps saying no to Jesus, right? I mean, he did it three times when Jesus was betrayed, right? But if you go before that, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, who do people out there say that I am? And the disciples say, oh, with the prophet, the one to prepare the way. They start listing all these things. He says, okay, okay. Who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up first person. You are the Messiah, the precious son of God that we've been waiting for. Jesus says, you got it, nailed it, Peter. And now I have to go to the cross and pay for the sins of the world. And what does Peter say? No, that's never going to happen, Jesus. It's not. We've been waiting for, no, you're not going to the cross. So what's funny to me is the guy who knew Jesus from the beginning and all those years of ministry and the years that follow, he's the guy that keeps hesitating while the guy who doesn't know Jesus at all, Cornelius, as soon as he sees the angel, says, okay, that's true. I'm going to send guys to see Peter, right? He obeys immediately. What is Peter struggling with? You know what he's struggling with this time? Bigotry. Bigotry. Cornelius is a Gentile. He may follow the Jewish God, but he's a Gentile. This is a Jewish message for Jewish people. This is early in the gospel history, right? In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. And so he's struggling with, I can't go to these guys. I can't eat those type of foods, which by the way, it's amazing to me that he's standing on the top of a house of Simon the Tanner, which is where he's living. Now, Simon the Tanner means he kills all these animals that are in the sheet and he, you know, tans their hides so he can use them for all kinds of things. So according to Jewish law, that house is unclean. He's unclean. Peter's okay to stay in that house, but he's not okay to eat the food because he thinks it's unclean. I mean, that's what happens when we turn our religion in just a set of rules. Eventually it gets confusing. <laughs> And we end up obeying some and not obeying some, and they start contradicting each other when we get finer and finer into the fine print, when it's all a bunch of rules. So he got confused, and he eventually obeyed, but it took a lot more time because of his bigotry, which is an interesting passage to look at when we're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? All that he did to see equality between the races, the whole breadth of it, from personal bigotry to legal bigotry. I have a feeling if Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, he would look back from when he started and say, hey, we have made some progress, especially legally. But I wonder if he would see that we made any progress with just prejudice of the heart, right? You know, during the whole time that he lived, all 39 years he lived, whenever a poll was taken about Martin Luther King, not one day of his life did the majority of white Americans approve of what he was doing. Never in his whole lifetime, right? No matter if they were Christians or not Christians, they just didn't approve of this thing. Right? Peter had to get over this in order to move in the plan of God toward Cornelius. And the question we need to ask is, are we Peter? Are we Peter? Maybe not in the area of color or ethnicity or background, but maybe. But my question is more like this. What does it take to get us moving when it comes to sharing the gospel with others? What kind of push, especially if we think they're unworthy of the gospel? It does, that's supposed to go to that guy. I don't want to share with that person. I'll never share with that group, right? 
What does it take to get us moving? Because we don't have to be, you know, an evangelist with a gift like Billy Graham that stands up and thousands of people repent. It never happened to me, right? We just have to stay close enough to Jesus so we hear him when he says, go with these three guys, right? We have to be willing to do that. Well, that's, that's Peter in this situation. Now, let me read the section of what happens when he gets to the house with Cornelius. It starts at verse 24. And on the following day, they, meaning Peter and the guys, um, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? Now that's interesting, okay? That whole piece that comes on. First of all, Cornelius is totally expectant. He anticipates. He's shared with all his friends and relatives. He's got them there. They're basically watching the door because he's saying, you wait, Peter's going to walk through there. And I'm telling you, I saw that angel, right? And he was absolutely positive this was going to happen. And so Peter comes in and the first thing he does is a good thing. Because Cornelius falls at his feet and tries to worship him like he's the God, right? And Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just a man. I came here. I'm just like you guys in that sense, okay? So he rightly starts by doing the right thing. But then what does he do? He starts talking about the law again. He says, you know, I can't come to houses like this. And why does he say that? What's he mean? You guys are all unclean, Okay. How would you like if I started my sermon by saying, I'm glad you're all here. You you know, you're all unclean, but it's okay. I'm going to meet with you anyway. Right? Does that make you feel good? You ready to hear the gospel from me? (laughs) Right? But that's how he starts. He says, you know, Jews don't do this. And I'm a good Jew. I would never come to here unless God told me to. And then he says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Come on, Peter. Without objection? Three times God has to say this? He still doesn't get it. So when these three guys are away, God has to say, Peter, go. These guys are for you. Go with them. I know they're going to a Gentile house, but go with them, right? That's without objection? Well, maybe technically. I suppose he's not lying. And then what does he do? So now that I'm here, what is it you want? Now, Peter had given his life to preach the gospel, right? I mean, and he would do it, and no matter if they arrested him, beat him, threw him in the prison, threatened him to kill him, he was going to do it. And he did it time after time after time again. And he never hesitated. He's the first one out in Acts chapter 2 when they got filled with the Spirit. He starts preaching and 3,000 get saved, right? This is a guy that does that. Now God gives him a vision, tells him to go to this house. He's at this house and he says, why am I here? It's a perfect chance to preach the gospel. These guys are with, waiting with bated breath 
They're waiting for you, but he still doesn't do it automatically. And I'm sorry, because I adore Peter for so many things that he does right that I probably could never do. But on this thing, he is so stubborn. They have to tell him, basically, well, an angel told me to send for you. That's why you're here. I thought the three guys I sent told you that, right? We're all waiting expectantly, what you would say. Now, the good news is he starts to preach, and this is what happens next. Verse 44. For they were hearing, I'm sorry, while Peter was still saying these things, so he hasn't even finished the gospel presentation about Jesus. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, in other words, he brought a group of Jewish people with him, Jewish believers in Jesus. When they saw, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So the good news is it finally happens and everybody benefits because of it. Cornelius obeyed what he knew. God gave him more. Now he's got the full package. He's got the one way to God. He knows Jesus, and he's ready to meet God and ready to serve him while he's on this earth. Peter obeyed what he knew, and he was given more light too. The gospel is for the Gentiles. And the good news is Peter gets this. Because when you get a few chapters further in the book of Acts, Acts 15, they have this big council. What are we going to do with the Gentiles? Can they, like not follow the law and still be saved. And Peter's on the side of, hey, they don't have to follow the law, right? I get this now. So he does get it. So Cornelius obeyed and grew because he came to Jesus and he's just starting his life. And Peter obeyed and grew because a whole new world of people who needed the gospel was open to him and he was ready. I don't know if you were here a month or two ago when we had Luke and Amy Wong, who we support their work in Southeast Asia. Uh, Luke Wong spoke to us and he said, the best way to grow, do something like Peter's doing. He was a businessman, Luke Wong, who heard God say, take the gospel to Southeast Asia, and he went. He says, never have I grown so much in Jesus or gone so deep with Jesus than when I just obeyed the great commission of taking good news to other people. We all grow in this process. Oh, but pastor, you know, I mean, if an angel appeared to me, of course I would do it then, right? Really? Peter had the angel because he didn't have this. He didn't have a New Testament. He didn't have all these. We have his story, plus all these other stories, plus tons of other information about how to do this, when to do this, who to do this for. We've got more than he had that we've been told by God. But it's what he's told us to do. So let me kind of wrap this all together. The main point on Cornelius' side of this is he sought truth and God gave him more. And here's the really important part. He obeyed immediately when he heard God speak. If you are here today or online and you're listening to my voice and God is speaking to you and saying to you, come to me. You've never said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Jesus follower from now on. I want this cross in my life because I really understand that that's the only way I can be, be forgiven. I want Jesus fully, holy. If you've never done that and you're hearing God whisper to you today, be like Cornelius. Don't wait. Who knows what will happen down the road? Don't be a fool like Martin Luther King preached and Jesus told that parable about. 
respond today. And if you're a Peter, which many of us are, most of us are here, we have the good news and we've been given this job to take it to other people. Don't be a Peter in this sense, like, well, I've never done this before. I don't know how to do this. It's all about keeping the law, right? That's not what Cornelius needed. He was already keeping the law better than the religious leaders of Israel, right? And his almsgiving and his praying. He's not looking for a morality keeper. What are people who don't know Jesus looking for? They're looking for a person who's different, a person of peace, a person who brings peace, a person who has peace in horrible situations, a person who has compassion on those who are needy, a person who loves his neighbor, a person who has a deep joy that gets them through difficult times. That's what they're looking for. And all we have to do is tell them about Jesus. So for those of us who know the truth, let's not just be willing but anxious to share the good news with others in our actions as well as our word. And the good news is, of course, the gospel means good news. The gospel is always good news. And the good news is everybody grows in the process. The sharer of the truth and the receiver of the truth. We're going to worship our God together. This song is perfect for what we're talking about here. Let your heart just soar as we sing these words together. But let me pray for us before we do that. Father, thank you for Cornelius. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Peter and Cornelius for our lives. So my prayer right now is just for those who are hearing this and saying, you know, I've never said Jesus only. I've never said this is what I want. I never said I wanted to follow Jesus forever. And I pray, Lord, in these moments that you would speak to them, that you would calm them, you would give them peace, and you'd give them boldness to make the decision that they need to. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.